2: Whether it's a game-winning goal in the final seconds of overtime or a shot on the goal in the first period. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment. It's never ordinary at Bet365. 21 plus only. Must be present in Virginia. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply. This episode is brought to you by Progressive. Most of you aren't just listening right now. You're multitasking. But what if you could also be saving money by switching to Progressive?
1: Mike, what's the pineapple on the background? I think that's the that's the Baptist Health logo. Would a hospital have a pineapple for a logo? I mean, well, that's... Appar-
2: apparently one does. The upside-down pineapple is apparently the universal symbol of a couple that is interested in swinging. In swinging, <laughs> Peter. <laughs> My mother made one hell of a pineapple upside-down cake when I was a kid. And now I'm starting to wonder...
1: Now that I know this, I'm starting to wonder. You're wondering about your mother right now. <laughs> <laughs> oh no!
2: <laughs> oh no! Uh, hey, hey, uh, hey, uh, hey, Peter. Um, earlier this week, there was a clip that we used from. A, you can take that down anytime you want. Thank you very much. There was a there was a <laughs> clip we used from one of the Dolphins press conferences. I think it was with Tua. And and I I asked Chris if he was aware of what the upside down pineapple meant and he claimed he did not. And I trust him. I believe him. He was very confused. And I eventually texted him later what it meant. I don't think he reacted to me, though. But, yeah, he was he was unaware of the upside down pineapple, as
1: was I one week ago today at this moment. Who in the world would ever think that an upside down down pineapple <laughs> We have symbols i don't know i mean i don't really, know you've got to. you've got to explain who first said hey let's swing and let's make the <laughs> upside down pineapple our symbol for swinging they had a meeting somewhere it's they had a, they had a meeting yeah. somewhere not
2: for those all purposes, swingers had purposes. a meeting to come up to come up with, uh, they needed a logo. They needed a symbol. They they collectively decided at this <laughs> meeting, at this convention, the Swingers Convention, in Indianapolis, probably not in Indianapolis. Uh, and uh, anyway, uh, let's get to the week three <laughs> games. As why uh, not Indianapolis? I it's, I just I have a feeling Las Vegas would have been a better choice for something like that. All right, the Raiders <laughs> at the Tennessee Titans. Both teams zero and two. Somehow. The Raiders are favored in this game. This is another one of those. What do the folks in Vegas? know that I don't because the Titans had the Giants beat and hey, hey, you know, the bills, the bills are going to beat the hell out of a lot of teams this year. They're going to beat a lot of good teams this year. I don't know that 41 seven is indicative that the Titans are bad. It just shows the bills are good. Which of the two do you think gets their first win of the season? They're both getting a little desperate. Oh, and two, who gets to one and two, who gets to and three?
1: I think the Raiders get this one, Mike. And Ooh. I think what has been odd so far about the Raiders is that, look, when I went to their training camp, I walked away saying that, you know, I, I like the sort of bookend pass rusher, Max Crosby, Chandler Jones, you know, that's good, but man, they got some holes on defense. And, you know, to have seen them in the first two weeks of the season, only score 42 points, this team has to score average in the high 20s, low 30s to have a chance to rekindle their season and to make the playoffs. So to me, this, it's up to Derek Carr and two excellent receivers, Devontae Adams, Hunter Renfro, to make something happen. And, and it's not going to be easy because obviously the Tennessee defensive line is better than the offensive line that that the Raiders are trying to play with. but I think that I just think that I have a lot more faith in the Raiders to score points than I do in the Tennessee Titans.
2: You know the the Titans uh, just for a team that was the one seed last year, they really feel different this year. And I don't know how much longer Ryan Tannehill has. We saw Malik Willis play some on Monday night because it was 41-7. That's an empty-the-bench moment, regardless of what you think of your starting quarterback. But I, I I, know that folks in Nashville, not in the building, have seen enough, and they're ready to move on. I mean, you get spoiled by a team that was so good last year that ended up being the one seed, lost at home in a game they should have won. And now come out of the gates in uninspired fashion. It could get it could get ugly. It could get loud in Nashville on Sunday if the Titans don't answer the bell. I think they will. Um, and you mentioned Renfro. We need to point out he hasn't practiced yet this week with a concussion, so the Raiders may not have him. So they may have to rely on a little more Darren Waller to go along with Devontae Adams. But I just yeah. I just feel like the Titans. I think Peter for me, and this will be an interesting data point that I'll probably forget after the fact. You've got a brand-new regime with an 0-2 team, and you've got an established regime with an 0-2 team. I wonder which one is in a better position to coax that first win. Because I think it's hard to get full buy-in for a new regime until you start winning games. And when you come off of a 20-point lead that you blew in the second half, how do you recover from that and go on the road? We saw the Browns recover from their debacle last night. Interesting to see how the Raiders recover from how things went off the rails against the Cardinals.
1: I think one of the things that would be bothersome to me is that Ryan Tannehill came off of that uh, of that horrible game in the in the playoffs, in the divisional game, when they're the one seed and Cincinnati comes in and he throws three interceptions, including the one in the last minute that basically cost them the game uh, and cost them that loss against Cincinnati. Uh, then in the offseason, he uh, is very... Vocal about getting uh, some uh, psychological help, some mental help, because that put him, sent him down a dark path. But you know, whatever the reason, you know Ryan Tannehill through two weeks has not put the end of last season very far into the rearview mirror. He hasn't played well. I don't know who's going to play well against Buffalo anyway. But you know, clearly in the first game he didn't play well either. So he needs to put together a couple of wins. This is, this is the kind of week that is really important for him to play well because that he, he's going to be playing a generous defense. So he's got to play well to sort of reestablish himself as the long-term starter there in Tennessee.
2: Ravens Patriots the Ravens another team that collapsed in week two up 21 in the fourth quarter and blew it to the Dolphins both teams one and one the Ravens are three-point road favorites for the New England home opener again another team to look at and see how did you bury what happened last week and turn the page is a bitter rivalry Lamar Jackson is 1-1 one one against the Patriots. Back in 2019, the Patriots were unbeaten at 8-0 on a Sunday night, and the Ravens thumped them with Lamar Jackson at quarterback. Belichick praising Lamar Jackson this week. The real question, Peter, can the Ravens get
1: a running game other than Lamar Jackson? So far, they haven't been able to do it. Yeah, I mean, obviously, they tried Kenyon Drake. They're waiting for J.K. Dobbins to be somewhere near full health. It's amazing to me just sometimes looking at Twitter with the absolute fantasy football love of J.K. Dobbins. Um, You know, I'm not saying I'll believe it when I see it. I do really like him as a running back. Uh, I had expected him to be up to speed by now uh, after his major knee injury last summer now. So I, I, I guess I look at this team and say I think Baltimore definitely is good enough to go to New England and win this game, even if they've got to rely on Lamar Jackson uh, to carry the mail for the most part in that running game.
2: Even though the Patriots got the win on Sunday, they still have issues with their offense. They got the ball to a couple of their receivers. The tight ends are MIA. The running game is good enough, as we saw The Ravens, a better team than the Steelers right now, and we'll see if the Patriots can handle them. The Rams and the Cardinals get together. Peter, this is the kind of stat that you love. This will be the fourth time in less than a calendar year that the Rams and the Cardinals have played each other. Four times in less than a single calendar year, in part because they met in the postseason. The Cardinals team we saw in the postseason was horrible. Kyler Murray was a shell of himself. He's got his mobility and explosiveness back That's what makes this one different to me. It's very easy to think, well, the Rams, you know, the Rams destroyed them in January. They'll destroy them again. Kyler Murray was still bothered, I believe, by that ankle. And now that Cliff Kingsbury's finally figured out the best way to coach Kyler Murray is just say, hey, here's the ball. Go do your thing. If they do that, it's going to be tough for the Rams to reestablish in all of our minds that they truly are a Super Bowl favorite.
1: I think the one thing about this game that really interests me is that when you look at the way Kyler Murray played football last week, that is the man who was drafted by Steve Kime and Cliff Kingsbury to save everyone's bacon in Arizona. And toward the end of last year, we saw that, and look, is this... Uh, he, he also, he, he had the, the 20.8 second play... You know, where just everybody missed him. And what I really like about Kyler Murray right now is he is playing with a confidence that you didn't see at the end of last season. And maybe he has the the bleep it kind of confidence after the clause was put in his contract in the offseason that everybody said was an insult to him. You know, it's the homework clause. And for whatever reason that was put in, I think we all have our suspicions about why it was put in. For everyone who wonders why that clause was put in, it has become a motivating factor for Kyler Murray to basically show everybody that he is a complete quarterback in the NFL. And last week was a great example of what they drafted in 2019 and what they need to have happen in year four of Kyler Murray for the Arizona Cardinals to have any chance to be a playoff factor this year. When he is healthy, he is unstoppable.
2: The key is keeping him healthy. It was that fluke. Guy fell on his leg in the next-to-last play in the week eight Thursday night game last year between the Cardinals and the Packers. That ankle was never right again after that. It took the offseason, I think, for it to heal. But he's healthy now, and I think the Rams will have their hands full with Kyler Murray by the way the Rams have Malcolm Brown back on the practice squad I don't know how happy Sean McVay is with Cam Akers especially in pass protection some of the stuff McVay said yesterday about Brown makes you wonder how long it's going to be before he's on the active roster maybe back in the mix he was part of that rotation a couple of years ago let's take a break it feels like the Broncos are 0-10 they're not they're 1-1 but they are struggling. Will those struggles continue against the 49ers on Sunday Night Football? We'll discuss that next on PFT Live, presented by Google Pixel.
0: Had a chance to go back and look at some of the red zone stuff. What, what are some of the common threads where you guys haven't been able to? Well, I think there's, there's some good news in it. Uh, it's not all bad news. I think that we've been down there six times. We had two fumbles on the one. We're down there on the one. We, you know, we obviously can't do that. That's two, two of the six. We had a quick fly touchdown to Cortland. That's three of the six. That's pretty good. That could have been pretty good. We had a little flip toss to, uh, to Beck. That should have been a touchdown. We went went it so Can't happen. That's four of the six. And then we had the fifth one was probably the roll where I hit, um, where I hit uh, E on the sideline and we were just barely out. That's five of the six. Five of the six isn't bad. That's how I look at it. It's just—it's uh, a game of mentions, a game of discipline, it's a game of doing things right, um, and uh, you know, it changes the whole perspective of everything. You know, we're really, really uh, kicking butt. So, great thing is we're doing a lot of great things well. Um, it's just you know, fine-tuning the, the details, and you know, we got to get more touchdowns in there,
2: or any touchdowns in there, as the case may be. Russell Wilson, not a surprise. Glass half full eternal optimist, always saying all the right things. I'm not faulting him for it. We're just analyzing his way. That's how he's always been. The reality is the Denver Broncos are 0-6 in the red zone this year through two games, and they managed to win one of those two games, which is good news. But it is kind of becoming an issue. It's becoming a thing. 22 plays, zero touchdowns, and two turnovers, Peter, in the red zone so far
1: for Russell Wilson and the Broncos. You know, uh, this week – Uh, it was hinted pretty broadly by uh, the head coach Nathaniel Hackett that he's been going to school on how to handle, uh, you know, the play clock. Why are they having to call so many timeouts and why are they rushing to get the play in so often? And I think Nathaniel Hackett, excuse me, I think Nathaniel Hackett realizes that he probably underestimated the importance of this when he took this job. And the stuff he probably should have been doing in May in preparing for this is stuff that he's having to spend time doing on September 20th, 21st, 22nd during the season, which is not a good sign, Mike. And to me, last week in a tight game, When you have to use your last timeout with eight minutes left in the fourth quarter of a tight game, I mean, Nathaniel Hackett has got to immediately, uh, you know, fix this or else I'm not saying it's going to lead to his demise, his downfall, he's getting fired. I'm not saying that. What I'm saying is that this is a gigantic issue that should never in a million years have been an issue. That's what makes it
2: so fascinating to me. It never happens. It's unprecedented. The idea of the home fans counting out in unison oh, the remaining God. seconds on the play clock They're as if they are at a basketball game. It's unbelievable because it's it's a perfect blend of helpful and derisive. They're mocking them yes. while also trying to help them. And as I said earlier in the week, yeah. there's a big difference between basketball and football. Basketball, you got guys dribbling, doing all sorts of stuff. In football, the quarterback is always looking right at the play clock. It's right in front of his face when he's behind the line of scrimmage. He, well, even though Russell Wilson's 5'10", 11-ish, he can still see the play clock, I believe. it's it's. I can't think of a single time in the 50 years I've been following the NFL that this has been an issue. And here it is. The planet's lining up for Nathaniel Hackett with new owners who will not mess around, who didn't hire him, who in the in the amount of time I have been articulating my point preside over a company that's made more than enough money to fund his buyout. And there they just did it again. And there they just did it again. I mean, the money is flowing from Walmart. They don't they don't care about buying the guy out. If he's not the right guy, they'll go get Sean Payton or somebody for next year. They won't hesitate to do it. So this is on Nathaniel Hackett, Peter. And, hey, we've seen it. You've seen it. Guy can be a great coordinator. You bump him up to the next level. Just doesn't work. There's only one way to find out. You bump him up to the next level and see if he can do the job. And if you can't get the plays in, if you can't get the plays selected and communicated and called in the 40 seconds allotted you when everybody else who's ever coached in the league can, you're not going to be
1: a coach for very long. It's just the way it is. You know, I do think that Nathaniel Hackett is smart enough to know that he is at ground zero right now. He's going to be on Sunday night football this week with everyone in America watching. And if there are more of these problems, okay, last week, who saw that unless you were watching very closely uh, on the red zone channel. Okay. Okay. Like, there were two markets, okay? The, 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 the Denver metro area and the Rocky Mountain region and greater Houston, okay? New York didn't see that game. LA didn't see that game. Uh, you know, some of the biggest cities in America did not see that game. So they just heard about it. They heard that Hackett's having all these issues. Well, now, if he has these issues in front of 20 million people, And obviously his own crowd, which if they have the issues, he will get booed against the San Francisco 49ers. And imagine in your third game as a head coach in the NFL, the crowd booing the head coach when you're one and one. And so this, this, I'm saying that I don't know what's happened inside the Broncos facility this week, but I can imagine that there has been the kind of sense of urgency that is rarely seen around a football team in the month of September. This is just a bad situation for Hackett, in part because
2: you've got the new owners who are titans of industry. This is your first impression. This is it. You have cemented a horrible first impression with the people who now own your team. You've cemented a horrible first impression with your fan base. It just gets to the point where it's not sustainable. It's not workable. However, Peter, Nathaniel Hackett isn't alone in this. Here's Russell Wilson from earlier in the week on what he can do to maybe move things along and get the play called before the fans start chanting out the remaining time before the clock strikes zero. Here's Russell.
0: Yeah. I always look at myself internally. Is there anything else I can do? Speed up anything else? I think tempo, maybe, uh, you know, just different situations, scenarios, but I think, I think the biggest thing is, is just, um, you know, I think for me, you know, just continue to play the game, how I know how to play it, you know, just continue to keep my mind relaxed. Like I always am. Uh, I feel like I've been doing a great job of that, especially, you know, for me, I've started somewhere brand new, you know, there's always going to be challenges and changes and things that, okay, well, what if we did this different, you know, what if I said that a little bit different, I'm learning guys how they received it, you know, all that information. And so it's been a lot of fun, man, for me.
2: You know, I don't know that it's fair to compare coaches like Kevin Stefanski to Bill Belichick like we did an hour and a half ago. Is it fair to compare quarterbacks like Russell Wilson to Peyton Manning? Peyton Manning is the platinum standard of a guy who comes in and asserts himself and takes control. At some point, though, if this is a mess in Denver, at some point, Russell Wilson's got to assert himself. He's got to assert himself. I was in Seattle for 10 years and this never happened once. We have to figure this out, and I know he likes to be a nice guy, and he's the new guy, and he's got to get along, and he leads in a certain positive way. As I was explaining to my son this week, there are occasions when it is required that you be an ass. I used a different word, but it's required. You have to do it in order to get things done, and the fact that you try not to be that way 99% of the time makes it all the more effective when all of a sudden you are pissed off and you
1: are making sure people know it. And Peter, at some point, Russell Wilson's got to assert himself here. Mike, Russell Wilson has an office that he uses in the Denver Broncos training facility building. That's not altogether rare that a quarterback would have a separate place where he can meet with his coach and, and all that. So it's not it's it's not unprecedented. But I would bet... For all the times in the offseason and in training camp where he and Nathaniel Hackett had long meetings in that office discussing what would work, how to marry our two uh, systems, you know, the one that Russell Wilson wants to play, the one that Nathaniel Hackett wants to institute, there have to be some long, long meetings. And I just bet that this week that office was used and Nathaniel Hackett and Russell Wilson started to get again on the same page about how in the world the play call is coming in so late and how they can get it to come in five seconds earlier than it has been.
2: And the most fascinating conversations that may have happened over the past couple of weeks at the team's facility that we'll never know about. Greg Penner, the CEO of the team, co-owner, and Russell Wilson in a quiet moment off the record. That may lead to something by the end of the year in Denver because Russell's not going anywhere. If anyone goes, it's going to be hacking. All right, we're going to go away just for a minute or two. We talked earlier about the possibility of Jacoby Brissett holding off Deshaun Watson. Could it be in Dallas that Cooper Rush holds off Dak Prescott? (laughs) Jerry Jones had some thoughts on it yesterday, as he always seems to do. We'll discuss that next on PFT Live presented by Google Pixel.
1: Reese's peanut butter cups are the greatest, but let me play devil's advocate here. Let's see. So, no, that's a good thing. Uh, (laughs) That's definitely not a problem. Uh, Reese's, you did it. You stumped this charming devil. Dak Prescott suffered
2: a thumb injury in week one that required surgery. Cooper Rush started week two and led the Cowboys to a last-second win over the Bengals. Could there actually be a controversy as to rush playing when Prescott is healthy? Here's Dr. Jerry Jones on that point.
0: OK, wouldn't it be something if you had a dilemma as to uh, which way you go? You do that if he gets 10 wins. Same thing that happened with Prescott. I think like that.
2: So you'd want that? You'd want that controversy? Of course I would. Okay.
0: Of course that means we'd won. If it comes in here and played as well as Prescott played, Rush played that well over these next games, ahead. I'd walk to New York to get there. <laughs> do, do you think he can do that? <laughs> uh, well, I don't know that, but uh, uh, I, I would. Uh, you can't find on record where I said I thought Dak Prescott could do it. When he had the when he stepped in and had the chance to do that, but he did it.
2: Oh, you gotta love Jerry Jones. And and, and I, if I'm Dak Prescott, I'm not happy with that soundbite. Although I just kind of shrug at it. That's just kind of Jerry being Jerry. Yeah. Before we ever get to the point where we're having the conversation, and Peter, you talked earlier about the cart before the horse. That's Jerry pushing the cart down the hallway with his nose there. I mean, he's already fascinated with the possibility that Cooper Rush is going to be a guy that just drops out of the sky and becomes the next Cowboys starting quarterback. I, I think we're a long way away from that, but it is amazing that he's willing to muse about it out loud.
1: The question that you asked before about Jacoby Brissett. Okay. And you know, what if the Browns are eight and two in December in week 11? What, what if they're, what if they're eight and two entering their 11th game? What do they do? Now, you have to ask that question. Mike, when, uh, when Dak Prescott was the 135th pick, I think that was the number, when he was the 135th pick in the draft in 2016, when Jerry Jones and Stephen Jones tried their rear ends off and made, because I saw it, 19 phone calls to teams to try to trade up to get Paxton Lynch in the first round of the 2016 draft. Couldn't do so. And then tried to get Connor Cook with the first pick of the fourth round. Couldn't do so. And so they had to settle for Dak Prescott, air quotes. So they had to settle for Dak Prescott. And then Prescott comes in, (coughs) excuse me, and all of a sudden he has to play when Tony Romo goes down. Who would have ever thought in a jillion years that when Tony Romo was healthy, he wouldn't have his job anymore, that they would stick with Dak Prescott. It's the exact same situation here. Nobody could envision a scenario where Cooper Rush runs the table and makes it a decision or, Hey, Dak, you don't have to hurry back. Don't worry. We're fine. Football history is littered with guys who have taken advantage of a chance that you never, ever thought. Who would have thought, other than, as it turns out, Bill Belichick, who would have ever thought in 2001 that Tom Brady, in week two or three, whatever it was, would take take over for Drew Bledsoe, and Bledsoe would be exiled to Buffalo a year later because there was no room at the inn for him in Foxborough. I mean, it it's it's highly, highly unlikely, and it's very jerry- to raise the possibility after one win, okay? But that's what Jerry Jones does. And as my friend Jonathan Jones of CBS Sports said on Twitter yesterday, don't you all understand how Jerry has made his team into an $8 billion enterprise? Because in the middle of the week when nothing is happening, he shoves the Cowboys back at the, at the top of the news cycle. That's just what he does. So don't take it like, whoa, boy, Cooper Cup's going to beat out uh, you know, Dak Prescott. Just take it as Jerry being Jerry. Yeah, I think you're right.
2: The difference in 2016 was they were looking for their next quarterback after Tony Romo. They knew he didn't have much time <laughs> left. And so it became a natural transition because Rom- Romo never played for anyone after that. He retired. He was done. Yes. With Drew Bledsoe, it was different. He still had meat on the bone. He still kept playing. This is more of a Bledsoe Brady than it is a Romo Prescott. And you've got Prescott under contract for a couple more years. He's making $40 million a year. It's fully guaranteed, I believe. And the way the contract is structured, it puts the Cowboys in a tough spot. Now, would it be accurate to surmise that maybe the Cowboys still have hard feelings about how the The Cowboys were put over a barrel by Dak Prescott in the negotiations and they had to pay top dollar. And if they could find somebody else a lot cheaper who is just as effective, they'd at least ponder it. I I think there could be a little bit of that. But uh, uh, Cooper Rush has a long way to go to put himself in the conversation for potentially keeping Dak Prescott on the bench. And I think what would happen here, Peter, the old 100% rule would come into play. I mean, we've heard Jerry shortening and shortening and shortening the return time for Dak Prescott. If Cooper Rush keeps winning, I think they'll extend it, and we'll start hearing that Dak will play when he is fully and completely healthy and ready to go. And this is a point I made last week. Look, if Cooper Rush isn't going to be very good for you— You'll take Dak Prescott at some percentage below 100 over a fully healthy Cooper Rush. Well, that percentage goes up as Rush plays well. It's no longer 75. It's no longer 80. It's no longer 90. You're going to wait until it's truly 100 because this guy's getting it done. As long as he's getting it done. And we'll find out Monday night against the Giants. Hostile environment, prime time. If Cooper Rush gets it done there, remember he beat the Vikings in Minnesota I think it was in Minnesota. Maybe it was in Dallas. I can't remember. I wish they would wear it white at home. in Minnesota last remember. Halloween. Okay. And, 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 he, and he beat Kirk Cousins there. And, and so he's already got one primetime win on his resume. If he gets another one, would, you know, Dak Prescott will only play when he's
1: 100%. I think that's what we'll hear at some point from Jerry Jones. Mike, the reason why that this is, and again, look, none of us know, None of us knows when uh, uh, when Dak Prescott's going to be fully healthy. But I would just say this, you know, in the immortal words of Laura King, when I was raising her, and she would just say, her, bi- her biggest saying was, you know, if I'd get upset with her, hey, Dad, I'm just saying, okay? <laughs> in the immortal words of Laura King, I'm just saying that the Dallas Cowboys, okay?, in the next six games, all, I mean, who knows when Dak Prescott gets back? Four of those games are against the Giants, Washington, Chicago, and Detroit. Are all those games winnable with Cooper Rush playing football? Yes, they are. Now they also play uh, the Rams in Philadelphia in those in in that period. But but you know. This is a stretch of the schedule <clears throat> that they can win a couple of games. If they win the next two, all of a sudden, Jerry Jones's statement takes on just a little bit more life. And Cooper Rush last year on that Halloween
2: game at Minnesota, it was indeed at Minnesota. He had 325 passing yards, two touchdowns, and an interception in a 2016 win over the Vikings. So we'll see what he can do Monday night against the Giants. When we return, show me something time for week three of the 2022 NFL season. We'll do that next on PFT Live, presented by Google Pixel.
1: There's no doubt about it, we've got to get a director. Our performance hasn't been good enough the first couple of weeks. Uh, and we know that, but um, I also think we've got you know a tough group of guys, you know a, a proud group of guys um, that are all introspective you know and, and thinking about what they can do to help us you know play better as a unit. Um, I don't think it's major it's, it, it's, it's not major changes, you know it's it's uh, heightened focus on on the details. you know I, I talk all the time with our guys about being brilliant in the basics um and not getting bored with them you know because over and over you, you've got to fall back on that in critical situations and so uh i think we're going to do that i really do i think we've had a good start to the week and i'm confident we'll uh we'll play better this sunday
2: matt ryan the colts quarterback 0-1 and one with the chiefs coming to town for the indianapolis home opener the tie in houston the shutout loss to the jaguars Very intense times for the Colts as they try to turn it around. All right, show me something. Not quite a pressure cooker, not a negative, more aspirational. This is your opportunity to shine. Peter King, your chance to shine in round one of the show me something draft.
1: Show me something, Nathaniel Hackett. And this is the most obvious show me something of any single person in the NFL this coming weekend, week three of the NFL season. When you blow timeouts as cavalierly as the Broncos have in the first two weeks, as I said last week, all timeouts done by midway through the fourth quarter of a very tight football game. You simply cannot go on like this. What have you done this week to fix it? What have you done to get out of panic mode uh, late as the play clock ticks down? This week, we're going to find out, and the entire nation will find out. Show me something on Sunday Night Football, Nathaniel Hackett.
2: Great choice, and uh, yes, the clock is ticking on him, literally and figuratively. I'm going to go with Baker Mayfield. I wrestled with Mayfield or Matt Rule, but I look at it this way. If Matt Rule gets fired as coach of the Panthers, he's got a buyout for multiple more years, so he's getting paid. He'll probably end up at Nebraska or somewhere in college football again and have a chance to do what he did at Temple and Baylor, et cetera. Mayfield's got nothing after this year. He gave up ultimately $4 million in salary with the opportunity to earn some of it back in incentives. He has not been impressive yet this year. They lost to the Browns, and yeah, they tried to win, but they fell behind. He didn't do enough early enough to get that win against Cleveland and then against the Giants last week. 14 for 29. Who doesn't complete 50% of their passes in today's NFL? And 145 passing yards. He's got to do better than that, or he is not going to get a starting job next year. Matt Rule will get paid and probably be a college coach if things go sideways for the Panthers. Mayfield, this is your chance. This is your audition for the rest of
1: the league, and so far it's not good enough, Peter. Show me something, Matt Ryan. Ryan. You know, when the Indianapolis Colts obtained Matt Ryan in this off season, they ignored everybody who was saying things like, quietly, because Matt Ryan is an extremely well-liked guy. Geez, he might not be what he was a few years ago. Well, in the first two games of this season, Matt Ryan has played nine quarters of football. The regular eight quarters plus the overtime period against Houston. The Indianapolis Colts have scored 20 points and Matt Ryan has one touchdown and four interceptions in those nine quarters. Not good enough. Now, it's inconvenient that the home opener happens to be against one of the best two teams in football, Kansas City. It's inconvenient, but it is time for Matt Ryan to show all the people in Indiana why he's a better choice for this team than Carson Wentz was. Show me something on a very urgent stage, Matt Ryan. And speaking of,
2: show me something, Carson Wentz. You get an opportunity to go against former team and the quarterback they drafted in round two a few years back that ultimately nudged you out of town. Show me that you're able to recover from that loss. It was disappointing. They were down 22 nothing. He played well in the second half to try to will the commanders back into it. But this is another home game. They beat the Jaguars. The Eagles are looking special. This is Wentz's opportunity to, to give the Eagles a rude awakening and to gather the kind of support that he needs if he wants to be the quarterback in Washington for more than one season, Peter.
1: Mike, I like that one, but you know – that we're going to have to have a show-me-something for Daniel Jones. <laughs> now, the reason why you have to have a show-me-something for Daniel Jones this week is that the New York Giants are 2-0, and and Daniel Jones has a chance against a diminished Dallas team on Monday Night Football to show everyone that he belongs and that he should keep the job of the New York Giants quarterback long-term. And Mike, I don't know if you quite remember this, but when Daniel Jones was just a young whippersnapper a couple of years ago with the New York Giants, they claimed a quarterback from the Dallas Cowboys on waivers in May 2020. His name was Cooper Rush. Cooper Rush went to training camp with the Giants was cut uh, before the start of the season, started on the practice squad, and then went back to Dallas. Cooper Rush comes into the Meadowlands on Monday night to play against Daniel Jones and the New York Giants. And Daniel Jones, not so long ago, the sixth pick in the draft, has to show that he's a better quarterback than the undrafted former practice squatter with the New York Giants, Cooper Rush. Show me something, Daniel Jones. I would
2: do Ryan Tannehill here. We talked about him earlier. Cole Beasley as well. Hey, he's wanted back in the NFL. He gets his shot. We talked about him. I'll go Joe Burrow, the Bengals quarterback. They're 0-2. They're going back to a place last year where they were upset by the Jets. That was the put Mike White in the Hall of Fame game last year. Make him the starter. Cut Zach Wilson that game. Joe Burrow's got to do something. Because they can talk all they want about, well, it's just a couple of losses. 0-2 becomes 0-3, and the pressure ratchets up tremendously in an organization that had far higher expectations after making it to the Super Bowl last year. We'll wrap up this Friday edition of PFT Live, presented by Google Pixel, right after this. One very interesting game coming up this weekend, Vikings and Lions. The Vikings had won eight in a row in that series until the barn burner late last year with the Amon Ross St. Brown touchdown catch. The Vikings, for whatever reason, were guarding the back of the end zone, not the front of it. I still don't understand that one, and Amon Ross St. Brown didn't understand it either, frankly. But this has the potential to be a sneaky good game. We're trying to figure out what Kirk Cousins is going to be under Kevin O'Connell. The Lions seem to be improved. Jaron Goff is better, Peter. Uh, and one of these teams is going to be 2-1 and one and in position to, at least for now, compete with the Packers at the top of the division.
1: Of all the stats in the NFL through two weeks that absolutely... Stick out to me, stun me, whatever, is that the Detroit Lions have scored 71 points. And that to me says not only that they drafted famously well to get a Monroe St. Brown, you know, who was the 98th receiver picked, you know, a couple of years in the draft, but not only have they done that, but they have figured a way to manage games and score points with Jared Goff.
2: Cowboys have scored 23. Bucks have scored 29. Lions have scored 71. That is something. 39 for the Bucks. Anyway, close enough. I'm bad at math. See you Monday.
1: Reese's peanut butter cups are the greatest, but let me play devil's advocate here. Let's see. So, no, that's a good thing. Uh, <laughs> that's definitely not a problem. Uh, Reese's, you did it. You stumped this charming devil.